Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I think one of the mistakes that we make sometimes in our view or our perspective on the Christian life is that if I follow God, it's going to be easy. If I follow God, isn't it supposed to fix all my problems? And yet, Scripture tells a very different story. In fact, sometimes following the will of God means choosing a way of pain. But sometimes God works through pain to bring about something very wonderful in our lives. You can think about this in a variety of contexts when it comes to exercising or strengthening yourself. You've all heard the phrase, no pain, no gain, right? And yet when it comes to life, I think if we're honest, we would like to say, you know what, I'd rather have the gain, but please don't give me the pain, right? I want to get ahead in life, but I don't want to deal with the hard things that come along. And as we're studying through the book of John here, we've now come to the portion where Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. If you remember just a couple of weeks ago, he brought Lazarus back to life. Lazarus was dead. He laid in the ground for four days. His sister said, Lord, he stinks. But Jesus brought him back to life because Jesus has power over death. He has power to give life. And he has power not just to give physical life, but to give eternal spiritual life. And that's a wonderful blessing. But as the lens of Scripture is zooming in on this final week of Jesus' life before he died, of course we know he rose again. But as it's coming in and zooming in at the end, we see Jesus going through some very difficult things in this last week of his life. It didn't start out difficult, but it ended up that way. Sometimes I think the distance between where you are right now and what God has destined for you, it sometimes includes traveling a path of pain. And the reality is this. How much pain you are willing to endure will often determine how far you are able to go. Ever thought about that? In life, those that are willing to work harder than everybody else, they, they often excel beyond where others who have slacked off. Those who are willing to endure the lean times faithfully often get to experience those times of blessing in a greater way. But the reality is, we don't want to have to go through the pain to get to the benefit. Some of you may be facing pain right now. Physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, financial pain, you name it. In our day and age, instead of pain, sometimes we call it anxiety. Stress. Struggle. But the reality is God doesn't ask us to choose pain, but He does say we ought to be willing to choose pain if that means choosing God's path. If God's path includes pain, then I ought to be willing to follow God's path. And that's the reality, folks. When we look at God's Word, sometimes what God asks us to do, we say, Lord, I don't want to do that. That sounds painful. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to add that into my life. That sounds painful. 
And yet if we're willing to follow God's will, even if that includes a painful decision, we can experience the blessings of God in our life. Here's the question I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself this morning. Do I worship comfort or do I worship Christ? Because sometimes, many times, those two things don't work together, do they? But we live in a country that I think worships comfort above just about anything else. What can I do to make myself more comfortable? And while I like to be comfortable, to be honest, I'm more comfortable wearing this than I was wearing wet clothes a few minutes ago. When it comes to following God, we must always choose Christ over comfort. This is where we find ourselves in John chapter 12. Jesus is in his early 30s. He started his earthly ministry when he was about 30 years old. He's been ministering for some three years here on the earth. He's been preaching and teaching. Think about it. From a human perspective, he's young, he's healthy, he's been doing ministry. Everybody else might think he has a lot of life ahead of him, but Jesus knows that he's headed to the cross. He knows he's about to die. This is the final days of Jesus. And when we read about in John chapter 12, there's another big holiday that's happening. If you've been paying attention as we've been reading through John, you see Passover, Passover, and Passover. We're now at this last Passover that Jesus was going to experience on this earth. During these major holidays, people would gather, the Jews would come together, the worshipers of God would come from all over, and they would come to Jerusalem. Some scholars believe there were some 250,000 people or so that lived in Jerusalem on a normal day, at a normal time, and yet during these times of feast and celebration, that number would swell to some one and a half or even maybe two million people. I mean, imagine that. I, I think in our context today, the closest we could come to that is like when some major sporting event happens, the Olympics or the Super Bowl or the World Cup, as people gather from all over and a place that normally is a busy city now just becomes absolutely packed with people. And the people, as they came together, were coming for this special holiday. They would choose a lamb that was to be sacrificed. If you think of all these people, they all would bring their lamb to be sacrificed. And if you think of some one and a half or two million people sacrificing lambs, there could have been half a million lambs being sacrificed during this time. That's hard to imagine. Imagine the river of blood coming out of the temple from the altar there as the sacrifices are taking place. On and on and on. You say, that sounds awful. God was painting a very vivid picture for these people that it is the blood that pays for, washes away the sin. But the blood of those lambs could never wash their sin all the way. It was only the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Once for all, 
that would wash away all sin. You got the picture? This is what's happening. And as Jesus comes, He's getting ready to come into the city. He's been away from public life for a little bit. He had healed Lazarus. He had been seen. And then He withdrew Himself. We don't know what exactly was going on for this brief period of time, but perhaps He was praying, preparing Himself for the pain that He knew that was going to come. Jesus is coming up to this time and He knows, because He knows everything. He knows He will be betrayed by one of His disciples, Judas. He knows that He will be taken by the Roman leaders. He knows He will be beaten. He knows all of the things that are going to happen to Him. And yet Jesus still chose the path of following God's will, even though that meant choosing a path of pain. Because He did it for something extremely important to Him. He did it for you. And He did it for me. He died for the sins of the world. Let's look at verse number 12 there in John chapter 12. It says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him, and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy King cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. As Jesus comes, He comes to these people on this day of Passover, or as it's leading up to Passover, and all these people are gathering together, and they begin to call out to Jesus and cry, Hosanna! Hosanna! Every nation needs the kingdom that Jesus brings. But see, these people, by crying out, Hosanna, 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 they actually meant something by that. It wasn't just a cheer. Yay, yay, yay. You know what Hosanna means? It means save us now. Or save us. And those people were looking for a king. But they weren't looking for a king that would rule in their hearts. They were looking for a political king that would release them from the Roman authorities that were in charge. Folks, the reality is still the same today. I would say that even in our church, the reality is most people value political things over spiritual things. We get more excited and more invested in and argue more and fight more about political things and trying to fix political problems and we let spiritual things go by with sometimes not even a care. Jesus is coming to establish this kingdom. He's coming to die on the cross so that people could be saved. But they didn't understand this. 
They wanted Jesus to be king. I mean, think about it. He had fed 5,000 people not that far before this. Hey, free food. Sound like a good king. Remember, he brought back people from the dead. He healed sick people. Hey, we all love free health care, right? Wow, this guy, this guy, we should make him president. I'll vote for him, right? Sounds pretty up to date, doesn't it? The Bible's always up to date because God wrote it. Free food, free health care. This is the guy. He just healed Lazarus. They're still talking about that. And so when Jesus comes in, they start calling out, Save us now! Save us now! Save us now! They took palm branches. This would have been, the, I would say, the, the equal today to waving flags and banners. These were people, some had traveled a long distance to be in Jerusalem. They didn't have room to pack flags and banners and those kind of things. So they grabbed what was close by. They took some palm fronds down off of a palm tree. And they're waving those things. Save us now. Save us now. How many of you, if you were honest in your own heart, might say that the political things have been overtaken or political things have overtaken your heart at the expense of spiritual things some of us when we get up in the morning the first thing that we do is we turn on the news or we look at our phone to see what's going on in the world and we find out once again there's no good news the only good news is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this earth and He died on the cross for your sins and He can give you eternal life. That is good news. But we often find ourselves looking to this world hoping that there might be some good news somewhere. And that's what these people are at. They're thinking, this is good news. This guy's going to come be our king. Save us. They wanted to see Jesus fulfill their political purposes, but Jesus came to fulfill a spiritual purpose. Look back at the passage of Scripture with me. Jesus says in verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Now you say, what's the significance of this? Jesus says to these people very simply, fear not. Did you know that command is found more in Scripture than anything else? It's used some 150 times. The Bible tells us, fear not. These people, they were oppressed by the Roman rule. Life was not good for these people. They were paying lots in taxes and tribute. just so, And they couldn't act out too much and do too much because they were in danger of being thrown in jail or maybe even being crucified themselves. But Jesus looks at these people and He says, Fear not. Oh, we struggle with fear, don't we? The fear of the unknown. The fear of what is known. Right? Just fear anxiety, worry, stress, 
struggle. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. God doesn't give you fear. He says, fear not. He says, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You say, but you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I may not. But the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the One who made you, the One who cares about you, the One that sent His Son to die for you, the One that gives you, the Bible says, everything that you need, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. He says He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says He'll provide for your needs. He'll make sure that you have food and clothing and the things that you need to survive. He tells you, Fear not. Fear not, he says. And then he addresses them. He says, O daughter of Zion. Fear not, daughter of Zion. I'm thankful for my daughter. Every dad that has a daughter knows that they're very special. Sons are special too. But there's a special thing about daughters that's different. There's a special relationship that comes with a daughter. I think it's because a young lady responds differently than young men do. It's special. And, God, and Jesus, God in human flesh, looks at these people and he says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Now, do you know he was actually referring to something? Jesus was doing things and speaking things and, and, and he was helping these people to know that he was the Messiah and yet they missed it. The Bible says in Zechariah 9 and verse 9, in the Old Testament, there's this prophecy. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He's just and having salvation. Notice though, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus spoke the exact words from Zechariah and Jesus, what was he riding on? The exact thing that it said in the Old Testament. Now, you may say, what's significant about that other than Fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. Well, did you know that the kings in those days, when they would come in riding on a donkey, what do you know about donkeys? They're not very fast moving, right? Got to plod along. The king would come riding his donkey during a time of peace. Because it was a way that he could move slowly through the crowd. It was like saying to the people, I'm not in a hurry. We've got nothing to worry about. It's a time of peace. However, when it was a time of war, the king would ride on something much different. He would ride a horse. Why? Because a horse has speed and it's strong and it's fast. And so Jesus is making a point to these people. He wasn't coming to fight against the Romans. He was coming in peace. In peace. And the God of peace 
tells us, tells you, he told these people, he says, fear not. Jesus is a king who rules over a great kingdom. He came to visit, if you think about it, the nation of his enemies, right? The Jewish people, even though they were God's chosen people, they had turned their backs on God and gone their own way. They were God's enemies. All of us, by nature, are enemies of God. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. In, sen- in a sense, they had declared war against His kingdom. So shouldn't He come in on a horse? No. Because He's the God that brings peace. He's the King that brings peace. He is, remember one of His names from Isaiah, He's the Prince of Peace. They were His enemies. And yet Jesus came humbly, simply, lovingly as the Prince of Peace. You know, when hard times come, I'm thankful to know that I have the Prince of Peace. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that He will give us the peace that passes all understanding. Have you ever seen somebody that walks with God, that has a close relationship with God, and they're going through something very difficult, and yet they seem to go through it with so much grace and peace in their life, and you say, how is that possible? How are they able to do that? Well, to be honest, it's hard to explain. It's beyond understanding, unless you've experienced that same peace yourself. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus brings, that God can bring, that even in the most difficult of circumstance, the loss of a loved one, somebody very sick, somebody going through a difficult time, where's my next meal going to come from? Where am I going to stay tonight? Who's going to provide for my needs? What am I going to do? God says to you, fear not. He says, I'm, I bring peace. But I don't know where it's going to come from. Trust the one who owns a cattle on the thousand hills. He owns it all. It's all His. Jesus is the King of Peace. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, These things understood not His disciples at the first. So all this that's going on, Jesus riding in on the donkey, Jesus making His statement about Zion or daughter of Zion, Jesus saying, fear not, All of the things that were happening, his disciples, they missed it. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. How many of you have ever been through a season of life where you just felt like God was not there? Ever been through that? Say, say, God's not there. He's not, he doesn't hear me. He doesn't know what's going on. What is God doing? I mean, think about it. If you were there at this point in time, maybe you're one of his disciples and you're following Jesus and he's been healing people, he's been teaching people, he's doing all this great stuff. And then he says, all right, guys, let's go to Jerusalem. Oh, on the way, I want you to go over to this particular man's house and there you're going to find this donkey and her foal and you're going to take them and bring them and I'm going to ride into the city on those. 
Think about it. Jesus, wasn't there something better you could have done today besides ride around on a donkey? Doesn't it feel like that sometimes when you look at people or see what they're doing? Especially when you think about God, maybe you think, God, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. Wasn't there something better you could have done with your time rather than ride around the streets on a donkey? His disciples missed it. See, all this was going on, and Jesus was doing it for a purpose. He wanted them to know without a shadow of a doubt, this was the Messiah. Jesus is their Savior. And what could be more important than that? But the day that it was going on, people missed it. And the same thing can happen in your life. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God told you he he would never leave you if you're his child. God is always at work. It's what he does. And just because you don't see it, or just because you don't feel it, or just because you don't understand it, doesn't mean that God is just somehow disappeared and doesn't care about you anymore. God is still there. And this is why we must just remain faithful even if we don't feel the hand of the Father in our life at every single moment and know that He's still there. Jesus is at work. Jesus is doing And what he's supposed to do, he's fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. He's following his Father's will for his life. Jesus is doing everything he's supposed to do. But the disciples missed it till later. Now, I'm thankful. I've had a few of these experiences in my life where something happened and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why or what God was doing. And then later on, Maybe through circumstances, maybe through something God showed me through His Word, whatever. I said, you know what? It makes a little bit more sense now what God was doing. God is at work all the time. Yesterday, Elitza and I were talking in my office and talking about her salvation and her life and just some of the things. And she was baptized this morning. And we got to talking about people and a family came up that we both know the same family. And I met this family because I went to kindergarten with their boy all the way through 12th grade. And she said, yeah, that family used to babysit me when I was a little girl. I said, you know, isn't that interesting? God was orchestrating for you to be part of our church and for us to connect when I was five years old. making those connections that would bring people where they needed to be so that you'd be here and getting baptized today. That just happened yesterday. That's how God does things. He's doing things through things that you can't even imagine, that you'll never even know about. You may never find out about till you get to heaven someday. That's what it says here about the disciples, that after Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered these things. It wasn't until Jesus ascended back up into heaven that then it started to all come clear and make sense. 
and crystallize in their mind. And they said, now we understand what Jesus was doing. And if you think about it, if you know the story of the book of Acts, what did these disciples do? The Bible says they went out and they set the world on fire. They were following Jesus. They were preaching the Gospel. They were starting churches. They were willing to go to the death for Jesus Christ. These same men that all ran when Jesus was crucified, they, many of them, went to the death themselves for the cause of Christ. Why? Because it finally made sense who he was and what he was doing. And if we would just take a step back from trying to understand everything and figure out everything on our own and trust God, God may just do something very special through us. But sometimes that means going through the path of pain. We like to go through the path of least resistance. And God sometimes says, no, that's not the way I need you to go. They realized it after he was glorified. Then they remembered they that these things were written of him and that he had done these things, they had done these things unto him. Look at verse number 17. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. Remember we talked about that testimony? Here it is again. People said, we saw Lazarus come back from the dead. Jesus can do it too. That's why these people are following Jesus and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Because they had seen what Jesus had done to Lazarus. This may sound really strange to you. I was sharing this last Sunday with Brother Winston. I didn't realize that until just a week and a half ago or a week ago. When I was studying for this message, I realized I had never really understood why did all the people all of a sudden say Hosanna, Hosanna when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day? Like what had changed? How did he suddenly get recognized by all these people? It was through his bringing Lazarus back to life and all the people that saw it and they were telling everybody else about it. So when Jesus comes into town riding on that donkey, the people are like, oh, here's the guy. This is the one. This is the guy that brought Lazarus back from the dead. Yeah, Lazarus. We know him. We've seen him walking around. That's the guy. We want him to be our king. And everybody's excited. But they had a little bit of misplaced excitement, didn't they? Because they thought he was coming to just set up the kingdom and wipe out the Romans and it was all going to be great from then on. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. That's not what I'm here to do. Jesus came to, brought, to bring peace. Jesus is the king of peace. These disciples didn't understand it at first. Let me give you a few things to think about when it comes to following God and trusting Him even when you don't understand what's going on. Here's the first one. It is an honor to be a witness to God's working. You may not see God at work in your life, but if you are around a body of believers, this is a great thing about a church, you will, if those believers are following God, you will see God at work in someone's life, even if you don't feel it in your own life right now. And it is an honor to be a witness to the work of God because it is only God that can do the work of changing hearts. God does the work. We just get to witness it. 
And sometimes we don't even know what he's doing because we're not around to see it. Because we're so caught up in our own fear and our own struggle and our own pain and our own difficulty and we're questioning God and we don't even see what God is doing around us. Let me tell you, I'm encouraged every week when I'm here at church. Because even if I've had a hard week, I get to talk to other people who smile, give me a hug, shake my hand, tell me that they prayed for me that week. People that really care, people that are there to help, people that are there even when we don't have all the answers. I've sat with several people this week and said, I don't have all the answers to your problem, but I know that God does. And if we'll be faithful and we'll follow Him and we'll obey Him in the simple things that God tells us to do, we can trust that God will provide for those things that we don't understand. But what do we often do? No, we don't really want to witness the working of God in other people's lives. We often want to just sit back and mope about our own life. Well, I'm tired, or I have this, or I'm stressed. I have this anxiety about this problem. It's an honor to be a witness to God's working. These disciples, they were a witness to God's working. They had seen Jesus bring Lazarus back from the dead. These other people had seen it as well. And they bear record. They told people about it. Your life is built to encourage someone. To help someone. And God is at work. And you may not feel it in your life. You may be struggling right now. But if you're faithful in your struggle, you can encourage someone else in their struggle. People roll in. People come into church. People bring with them the struggles of life. You know it. Someone at work this week maybe threatened you with the loss of a job. Maybe this week you heard about a family member that's going through something awful physically and you don't know if they're going to make it. Maybe this week you found out some news that was just horrible and it made you struggle and you're concerned. Maybe you just watched the news at night and you see all the struggle in the country and you just say, I just don't know what we're going to do. Fear not. Fear not. God is still at work. We saw that this morning, didn't we? God is at work. You can take comfort that He's still here. He's still working. Secondly, and we see this about these people, most people love the gifts, not the giver. These people were excited about Jesus coming because, hey, He can heal us. He can give us free food. He can do all these things to help us. But they were less excited about knowing who the giver really was. And folks, let us not fall into the same trap of loving the gifts more than we love the giver of the gifts. You know it as well as I do. You've seen it happen at birthday parties, at Christmas. Little ones will get gifts and they run off so excited and parents are trying to drag them back. Now say thank you. Say thank you. Okay, thank you. And then they run off to go do their thing, right? Why? Because we love gifts more than we love the givers of the gifts. I want you to come to my party as long as you bring me a nice present, okay? Otherwise, don't come. Right? That's, that's how it works. Uh, who are we going to invite to the wedding? Well, they probably can't afford to give us much. Let's put... 
Let's put somebody else down. You know, it's going to be expensive by the time we buy all this food and have all this stuff. And, you know, we can't spend all that money on them if they're not going to reciprocate. Why? Because we love gifts more than we love the giver sometimes. And that's awful. We laugh because we know it's true sometimes, right? That's how people think. And that's how we treat God, too. Well, God, what have you given me lately? God, you haven't given me everything that I want, and so I'm not going to serve you until you give me everything you want, everything I want. God, I'm not going to follow you because my life's hard right now, and if you were really God, then you would fix this. Who are you? Who am I to question God? Let him be God. It's an honor to see him at work. Let's be careful we don't love the gifts more than we love the giver. It's obvious, right? If I, if I advertised, hey, we're giving away $100 to everybody that comes to church today, it'd be full. Why? Because people like gifts more than they like the giver. Now, we will often use a gift because we do care about people. Because we want people to come. But we hope that they understand this gift is very small. The giver is much greater than this gift is. Let's be careful about that in our own lives though because we look at God sometimes and we question Him because we don't like the gifts that He's giving us or it's not enough or whatever else. We love the gifts more than we love the giver. Thirdly, And we see this among these people. If you worship power, then Jesus is a problem. These people, the religious leaders, they wanted power. Look at verse 19. It says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. See, these Pharisees were frustrated because they felt like Jesus was taking away their power. They worship power. They wanted power. And if that's what you want, if you're all about getting power and control and running your life and everybody else's life, then Jesus is going to be a problem for you. Because Jesus already has all the power. (laughs) Jesus is God. He is in charge. And when you're fighting for the power, you're fighting against Jesus. And let me let you in on a secret. When you're fighting against Jesus you're always going to lose. Right? You may think, wow, look at me, look what I did. No, you're going to lose, okay? Jesus is in charge. These Pharisees didn't like this. And as we help other people, as we encourage other people, we want to be a church that teaches God's Word. We want to be a church that loves people. It's not our job to control people. God's in charge. We can encourage people and help people, I believe, more through love than through fear. The fourth thing we see here, and I kind of referenced it earlier, but God is always at work. Sometimes you just don't see it until later. He's always at work. So I don't see it. Trust Him. He's at work. 
He's not working like I thought he was going to work. He's still at work. You just may not see it until later. Maybe you feel like you're in a desert time of life. Not dessert. Desert, right? I made sure I spelled that right in my notes so I didn't say it wrong. Maybe you feel lonely, abandoned. Nobody wants you around. You don't see God's presence or His provision, but Jesus is at work in your life. That's why He tells us in His Scripture in the Bible, He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. If you can see it, it's probably not by faith, is it? Faith is trusting God for what I can't see and knowing that he's still at work even when I don't understand it. But let me let you in on another great truth, though. The Bible says that someday our faith will become sight. And that's the day when Jesus comes and he takes us back to heaven to be with him for eternity. Everything we're doing right now is in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Our worship of God is just preparing us for the worship that we're going to do for eternity in heaven. Our obedience to God is just the response or should be the response to God be out of love for what He's done for us. Our desire to share the gospel with this world is all because someday Jesus is going to come back and people are either going to spend eternity with Him or eternity separated from Him in hell. Our faith will become sight one day. It's just not yet. But it could be before this service is even over. We don't know. But we know it's coming soon. There's Jesus riding into town on that donkey. What is he doing? Those disciples didn't see it, but they did understand later. And then finally, Jesus, as he comes in, the people see him, the Pharisees see him. There's another group of people, verse number 20. The Bible says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. You should be very thankful for that. That the Greeks could come and worship at the feast. You say, I'm not Greek. He's referring to anybody that's not a Jew. That's you and me, unless you're Jewish. And if you are, that's great too. But this is Jesus opening it up to everybody else. These are other people following Jesus. Sometimes we look at this world and we say it's over. Nobody cares about the things of God anymore. There are still people that are looking for God. There are still people that need to be saved. There are still people that need hope. They often don't know what they're looking for. They may not know that God is the answer, but they're searching. They're searching. They may be trying religions, they may be trying works, they may be trying alcohol or drugs or whatever, trying to find some hope, some peace. They need Jesus. He's the answer. We must choose the pain that leads to peace. 
Verse number 21, The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So the Greeks come to Philip. Philip goes to Andrew. Then they both go to Jesus. And Jesus answers them, verse 23, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It is time. All up to this point, Jesus says, not yet my hour. My hour has not yet come. It's not time. And now he says, the hour has come. It's time that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he has this brief illustration that he introduces here. He says, verily, verily. That means truly, truly. This is truth. And God always speaks the truth. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, that's just a little kernel of wheat, right? It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He's bringing in a farming illustration. I don't think too many of you grew up on a farm. I know my dad grew up on a farm. Maybe a few people grew up around farming. But maybe some of you, your only experience with farming was in elementary school when you brought in the styrofoam cup and they put some dirt in it and you planted a bean in it. I don't know. But if you've ever planted a field or planted a bean in a cup, what happens? You take that seed that one kernel of whatever it is, and you put it in the dirt. And you watch when you're little and nothing happens. You go home and you come back to school the next day and you run over to the windowsill and you check all those cups and you look, still nothing. And you walk back to your desk Why is my teacher doing this? These dumb seeds are never going to grow. But we know what happens, right? It may take a few days. Hopefully it gets a little water. If you're like me, maybe some friend of yours knocked your cup off and the dirt fell on the floor and got cleaned up. and All different things happen, right? But if it's left alone and it gets the proper water and it gets the proper sunlight, A few days later, you come in and you look there in the cup and what do you see? A little bean sprout. And it's so exciting. Now some of you are like, I thought it was going to be a tree. I thought these were magic seeds like Jack and the Beanstalk or something. No, it's not like that. But what happens? It grows and grows and grows and it can then bear much fruit. Jesus is talking about Himself. He's saying, I'm like that kernel of wheat, that little seed. I'm going to die and be buried. And it's over. Or so it seemed. But three days later, it opened. The tomb was open. Jesus came out. Jesus rose again. Jesus was alive. It truly was finished that He died for our sins once for all. 
But Jesus completed what He came to do when He rose again. Jesus says that kernel of wheat has to fall into the ground and die. If it doesn't, it just abides alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Look at verse 25. This is where you see all this pain coming in. He says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus says to these people, he calls himself the son of man. Do you see it there? He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse number 23. Jesus is referring to Himself as the Son of Man. And He does this some 70 or 80 times in the New Testament. It's His favorite way to refer to Himself. You say, why would He call Himself that? You know, everything that Jesus said had a purpose. He was referring back to Daniel chapter 7. In the Old Testament, there was a prophecy. It says this, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came from the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and brought Him near before Him. And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting Dominion which shall not pass away, and the kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Jesus was saying, I'm that one that Daniel told you was coming. God came to us. Jesus showed up. The people said, well, are you here for our nation? Jesus says, I'm here for all nations. I'm a king that brings a kingdom that's never going to end. A king that will never lose. God is walking on earth, the earth that He made to save the people that rejected Him. Jesus came. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is to be glorified. He says there that it talks about He was going to be glorified. It says that at the end of verse 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The concept of glory means weightiness, value. Something has importance, right? If something is worth glory, it's because it's valuable. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, He should outweigh everything else in your life. Jesus Christ, if you will, should be the gravitational center of your universe. That everything revolves around Him. But we often put good things in God's place and then bad things happen. That's what happens when you put good things in God's place. Bad things happen. Some people will put their spouse in the place of God and think, my spouse is going to bring me happiness and joy and fix all my problems. No, God can only do that. 
Some of you say, well, it's my job, my career, my finances, my kids. Those are all wonderful things, but they can never take the place of God, of Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus, he's the beginning and the end. He's everything to us. Jesus' death brought us life. Through that corn of wheat that would die, many would have life. The opportunity for eternal life is available to all. And finally, those that follow and serve Jesus will be honored by the Father forever. We see that there in verse number 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. I'm so thankful that God honors us. What a blessing. Every work, every service that we do for Him in this life as believers in Jesus Christ, God says He will honor someday. Your life is eternal if you're a child of God. Your service to God is also eternal. It will last your following of God is eternal. Your reward from God is eternal. So why, if those are the eternal things, do we spend so much time on stuff that doesn't last? We spend all our time and all of our energy getting stuff that is not eternal. Why? It's a waste. Don't waste your life on those things. Go for the eternal things. Jesus came one time in humility. The next time, He's going to come in glory. Jesus came the first time on a donkey. But did you know when He comes again, do you know what He's going to be riding? He's going to be riding a horse. Not just any horse. It's going to be a white horse. John, the author of this book, also wrote another book in the Bible. He wrote a few other books, but he wrote the book of Revelation. And if you go to the end of your Bible in Revelation chapter 19, let me read you just a few verses and then we'll be done. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Hey, isn't it great when you get to know the end of the story before it happens? This is the part that hasn't happened yet. There's a song that says, I've read the back of the book and we win, okay? This is the back of the book, right? This is the part where we win. And we haven't gotten here yet, but this is what's coming. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty 
God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name.